0: We here. It's Don Chen's. The Wolf Mentality Podcast. It's pretty damn lit. Long Wolf. Yeah. And what up, wolves? This is Don Chen's, and you are listening to Wolf Mentality. Have an awesome interview for everyone today. It's somebody I've wanted to have on the podcast for a long time, John Allen. He is the founder and former CEO of the clothing brand Ivory Ella. Uh, They donate a portion of their profits to save the elephants. And he's also currently the COO of a clothing company called Alta Gracia. Like I said, somebody I wanted to have on for a long time because he has a super interesting story. And not only that, He's a busy guy. So during a two-hour drive, we did the whole interview while he was uh, driving. He just uh, called me up, Skyped, and we did it. So Making Wolf Mentality History, first guest to ever do the interview uh, while driving. But, you know, really good interview. Uh, I don't want to give too much away, but I I really... why I wanted to have a mom, on. one thing I found super interesting about his story is the marketing strategy that was used to build up Ivriella. You know, most companies, you kind of build the brand first and you try to build a social media presence in order to gain exposure. But he kind of reversed that. He started off building social media uh, accounts and companies, uh, mostly on Twitter, and then built a large enough network that he was able to leverage in order to grow a brand that he later created, which was Ivriella. Uh, so super interesting. It's also, I think, you know, you'll hear from him that it was a pretty chaotic time, a lot going on, a lot of hours put in, and I think it's you know pretty indicative of the life of an entrepreneur. You know, you get in, and he had a lot of success right away. So might have been in a little over his head to start, but you kind of figured out, take the mistakes as they come, and you know he was able to learn on the fly and build the company into what it is today, which is a very successful brand. Um, You know, things don't always go according to plan. And I think his story is a great example of that. Um, So shouts out to him. Shouts out to everybody listening. Uh, Please subscribe, uh, rate, review, share with people. You know, we're trying to grow the wolf pack. You know, every episode, if you're enjoying this, let people know, leave a good review, five stars, you know, all that stuff. It really helps out the show uh, so we can beat the evil algorithms. Um, Shouts out to John and I hope everyone enjoys. Here he is. Oh, one quick thing before we get started. Uh, there are a few points while John is talking where you start to lose him for a little bit, but it's not for long. He comes back and you don't lose you know, any part of the conversation. You're still able to follow. So it, you might notice that happens a couple of times, but it's uh you should be able to follow fine. So here he is. All right. I think we are recording and we're live. Uh, I am Don Chenz. I am in my apartment and... I am speaking with John Allen, uh, co-founder and former CEO of Ivory Ella, and currently the CEO of Alta Gracia, did I say it right? COO, COO. And John is currently driving, and this is the first ever podcast I've done where my guest is in the car driving, so I think this will be interesting. You think you'll be able to multitask?
1: Personal, I'm always driving. So, uh, you're not the first; you won't be the last person I talk to on the phone tonight.
0: <laughs> yeah, and you said you have a couple hours, so we have all the time in the world. Hopefully, yes, ho- sir. Hopefully, make it go shorter. Um, <laughs> all right, so let's get into it. All right, so like, um, so Ella, you know, was like the it was very successful, but I wanted to, I guess, kind of go chronologically and start before that. So you started some entrepreneurial endeavors while you were in school, still, right? You were attending Temple. Yes, sir. Uh, so I could. Uh... Yeah, like I, I wanted to know, like, what were those businesses, and kind of what did were you seeking out some t- kind of entrepreneurial thing? Like, were you trying to start a business and always thinking of ideas, or is it something you kind of stumbled into? You know, when you got started.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I, I never thought, I think, you know, I I would start my own business or anything. That wasn't really my mindset. I always, I even think as a kid, to be honest, always had the mindset of just like, how can I make as much money as possible? I mean, that's always kind of been, you know, not to say like my core driver, but I mean, that's just kind of been my mindset. Um, when I was in school, whether it was high school, college. So, I mean, I did everything under the sun. Um, you know, I worked on a golf course basically the time I turned 14. Um, for six years, I've you know valley parked in college, worked at a law firm. Honestly, whatever I could get my hands on, you know, I did the uh, you know Vima, the network marketing thing. I actually made some good bucks there. So I I feel like I've always been you know a hustler, if nothing else. Um, and I just kind of stumbled into my own business. But you know, the first one I did was actually um, I didn't even do it to make money. You know, I one buddy and one of my partners that. Ivriella was, uh, making Twitter accounts and he had this one Twitter account called lady boners. And it's literally just pictures. Yeah. Pictures of hot guys. Right. Like, Wait,
0: I actually think I know that account. That's pretty funny. Yeah, <laughs> I actually think I remember when yeah, that you, was a thing.
1: <laughs> you probably do. It's huge. I mean, it, it, I think it's got like, I actually might not be there anymore, but it had, you know, 1.600,000 followers, crazy active, but you know, my buddy started that and he literally sold it when he was, I was sophomore, he was a freshman you know, sold it for like thirty G's and Damn. you know, exactly right. Like that's what we were thinking in college, like thirty G's is might as well be a million bucks, right? Like you can do anything with thirty grand when you're there. Um, you know, so I, I saw that and I was like, Man, this is pretty cool, like, oh, hell. And so, you know, started getting involved with him. We were just, you know, making these Twitter accounts and I remember like it was yesterday, it was a uh, you know, Saturday night at like three AM. He calls me, like John, I got it, like I know how we're gonna make money, like we're going to do this Twitter thing. And I'm like, dude, Jacob, like, come on, man. You're probably drunk. Like, if you're serious about this, you know, call me the next day, whatever. Literally 8 a.m. next day, like bang on the door. There's Jacob. Like, let's go to the tech center. And so I was like, all right. Like, you know, we went to the tech center, drew up a business plan and, um, you know, tried to kind of find a way to make money on Twitter with these, you know, we call them parody accounts, basically like a theme, right? Like, you know, Lady Bones, picture hot guys, uh, you know, big one we had was bucket list. Which had over a million followers. It was just um, you know cool pictures of stuff to do around the world. It's so like things like that, you know, not a real person, but more of a theme. And so we were going to make money doing that. You know, we struck out um, finding some money um, at some opportunities, and then you know my parents saw you know how hard we were working and trying to do it. And So my parents actually gave us you know our, our first business loan for twenty five thousand dollars to start this Twitter company when I was a sophomore in college. And, you know, so we did it and we literally went and we bought and sold, um, Twitter accounts. And, um, you know, we had content sites, like you probably remember back that you see everywhere, like 15, like hottest celebrities or best athletes playing other sports, literally just stuff kind of clickbait shit. Right. Yeah. So we were doing that, um, running Google ads on it, getting paid by Google, making you know, pretty good money. I was able to pay back my parents in about two months. Damn. Um, so like, um, it was, you know, good money and we kind of saw an opportunity to do something that nobody else was doing. So, you know, after that initial success, we were like, man, if we have a little bit more money, like we can kind of just grab a monopoly on this. Like, you know, it was kind of like 14 year olds on the West coast. were doing it for fun. And here we were, you know, doing it to try and make money. Um, and so we went out and now that we had seen success, it was pretty easy. And so, you know, we got another $75,000, kept buying these accounts and, um, you know, kept making money that way. And so, uh, you know, I was going into my junior year of college, um, just making content sites. And we were, I mean, we were trying to do ads for whoever we could. We did some stuff for you know, Disney, Pixar, Coca-Cola, literally anybody we could find. And so, you know, one day we kind of said to ourselves, man, if somebody's paying us to do their stuff, what are they making on the back end? Why don't we just sell our own? And so we came up with the concept and idea for our first, um, you know, real kind of site and idea, which was Boho Outfitters. And it was just this, uh, you know, Bohemian jewelry style company. And really all we were doing was just buying jewelry from China, you know, at wholesale prices and just, you know, double triple in the price and selling it online. Um, but we made, you know, really good money. We started making a you know, 30, 60 grand a month. Um, and again, being in college, um, really not doing anything besides tweeting from my phone. You know, I had help from my mom, my sister, who were helping us with the fulfillment, customer service, things like that? So I was like, "Damn, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life." Like, <laughs> Jacob, tweet. let's just create like, let's just create like 20 stores. Like, we'll do all the marketing for it on social media. Like, find somebody to do the fulfillment. This and so yeah, we we're like, "All right, great." And so you know, we found a few other people who had started doing this online. We're like, "Hey, we got this idea. You want to?" You know, we had these we had these little rings for boho. Um, that was an elephant and you know the trunk wrapped around your finger as the ring and like we were selling you know whenever they were in stock they were gone it was our most popular item at boho and so you know at the same time there was hbo came out the documentary called an apology for elephants um anytime we posted on social media um you know because at this point we probably got seven eight million followers on our different accounts you know anytime we posted something with an elephant people went nuts and so we saw this love and affinity for elephants um, and we're like, all right, let's, you know, build a brand around that. So we brought in some other people who also had some really big social media presence. Um, you know, another guy who had more followers than us, a girl who was a major influencer, um, and some people like that. And so we built this kind of brand around elephants, and, you know, probably about five days before we launched one of my buddies, um, who's still, still with the company today. He's our uh, chief of staff. Um, you know, it was like, John, because um, he was doing some other stuff in college. And I was just so busy. With I was like, Rich, come work for me, man. Like, come help me out with this. I could really use it. So he's like, dude, should we really be, you know, building a brand off endangered species? And I'm like, I don't know. That's a pretty good idea. Like, shit. And so he did, you know, what I think anybody else would do and literally Googled how to save the elephants. And like, <laughs> save, save the elephants.org came up, you know, did a little charity navigator um and then was like let's donate to these guys and so we you know kind of decided like yeah like we don't want to make you know we don't want to just make money off of endangered species and so you know elected to change our business model to donate 10 percent of our profits um you know to the save this elephants company and we were just kind of going to go from there it's funny i remember our first call with um you know we called save the elephants we're like hey we got this t-shirt idea um, and they're like, "Yeah, we really don't do sponsorships." We're like, "No, no, no. We're just like, if we write you guys a check, will you take it?" And they're like, uh, <laughs> "Yeah, sure," you know. And so, uh, so we, you know, we came up with the idea. It took us probably two months to just coming up with the name. It was ridiculous how long it took us to coming up with the name. But hindsight, you know, obviously it, it was worth it for success. But you know, we had the names. We designed 500 shirts. We're like, "All right, we sell these in a month." Um, you know, amazing, a week, unbelievable. And so, you know, we launched, uh, April 18th, 2015. It was a Friday at midnight. I was actually at my buddy's house in Bloomsburg university, um, at a house party and we sold out the 500 shirts in about 17 minutes, um, is really when it went nuts. And, you know, we had just made like, you know, 60 grand in like, um, 15 minutes, right. No idea what to do. So I, I'm getting all these calls from all my partners. Like I got no like experience like this before. And we're like, what are we doing? We're like, I don't know. Just put them on pre-order. Like, let's see how many we can sell. We'll figure it out on Monday. So we put it on pre-order and it just went absolutely nuts, man. It was crazy. I mean, every second I was reloading my phone, we had made another $1,000. You know, we had ended up selling over 6,000 shirts throughout the weekend, made over you know $600,000. Um, and my one partner, you know, because Twitter was always like a side thing for most people for us. Um, you know, we had just started making real money towards the end before all this had blown up. So my partner was a high school teacher and we had never really met before. Um, yeah, I was was going to ask that.
0: I read that like you guys didn't meet until a month before launch or something like that. No, we
1: were just, we were just doing work on Twitter together. So we had never really met, you know, we had came up one time a week before the launch and we had wife like with him, but you know, he was like, you know, adult, like wife, two little kids was a high school teacher. Um, you know, and here we, me and college my buddy kids. are, these two, these two college jackasses like, yeah, we're, we're going to chase the world. Like, and he's like, all right, guys, like, let's just be practical and figure this out. Um, but yeah, we met him like, a, you know, literally a week before for the first time in person, we had just made $600,000 together in like two days. That's crazy. Um, and so he calls me because I was doing all the fulfillment for Boho. You know, we had brought him, some other people in on Boho with us. Cause we're like, listen, we're all just going to work together. Let's just bring everything under together. Um, you know, other partner asma had a jewelry brand too um ryan was another guy; he's doing his own stuff so like let's just bring it together like make this super clean and easy um and so i was the only one that knew how to like literally print out the shipping label that went on the package sent to a customer and she's like john like what do i do i gotta go to work tomorrow <laughs> and i'm sitting there like hungover as hell in college like the most excited i've ever been i cannot believe this money's real um and i'm like dude matt i'll come up like today I'll work all night if I have to, like I'll get you squared. Like if I have to stay the week, you know, my classes don't mean that don't mean much. Like, don't worry about it. Like, we'll get it figured out. So that Sunday I went up there, you know, me, him, his two little kids. Um, you know, the grandparents were all full in shirts, like stuffing them in bags. And um again the madness just didn't stop. So I moved up there and I I just ended up never coming back, really. Um, at least you know, for six more
0: years. That's wild, Sam. Yeah. So <laughs> All right. Let's uh we're going to, we're going we're gonna to back up and go through it all again. Cause I have a lot of questions. So my first and most important question, so you said, well, maybe not my most important question, but you were saying how, like you had the Twitter accounts. One, did anybody feel weird posting pictures of hot dudes on, uh, at lady boners and two, so was the, so you guys were essentially just building a large Twitter following and then just selling it to somebody who wanted to buy it just to have that number of followers already under the account? Is that essentially what it was? Yeah.
1: So, um, your most important question. Uh, yes, but we got over it quick. We, we quickly learned that there was like, especially at the time there was way more, you know, females using social media and like way more online shopping was done by women. So like we just went to the market Um, and so while it was weird at first, we definitely got over it super quick. Um, because you know, we were running 20, 30 accounts. So like, you're just kind of, you know, you're using a tool to pre-post on all of them. I mean, my top, I had a, like, so it's, it's called trading. Basically you work with, you know, other accounts and they retweet your stuff and you retweet their stuff and you're allowed to do one ad, but to not spam up your page, you only do it for like 15 minutes. Right. So every 15 minutes you got to go down, you got to find somebody else to trade with. So like. My phone had timers on. It's like every three minutes, it's beeping, and I'm going off. I'm posting something new. I'm trading with somebody else, trying to find another ad. Um, you know, but you made the big money from building an account and trading it, right? You know, we had this one account. Um, I forget what it was called, but it was like a, um, it was like Lord Disick. You know, it was about Scott Disick, whatever. It was right when the Kardashians were. I think I know that one big. too. What we, the fuck? <laughs>
0: I all right, like so it these. would be weird,
1: man. But there, it was like three hundred million users on twitter like at one point we had like almost a 100 million so like almost one third of accounts on twitter at one point um you know i owned or operated so there's probably not a lot of accounts i have that you haven't seen
0: dude that's Um, insane that's so so wow
1: (laughs) i'll start yeah it's crazy i always tell people like don't believe shit you see online, like everything is fake, you know, <laughs> anything that looks like it's viral, like it was planned, you know? Yeah.
0: I, um, I I kind of subscribe to that thought as well, but I think it's so like crazy. So then I'm kind of fast forwarding a little bit, but just cause we're on the Twitter thing. So you then essentially, you use those networks of accounts to boost up Ivory like kind of presence, online presence. Am I?
1: Absolutely. You know, so the big thing we did beforehand, um, And this was, you know, one of my partners idea, you know, is absolutely brilliant, right? Is we would do, so there was this whole thing, you know, I don't know if you remember, it was like the starter pack meme, right? Yes. And it was like, So we started taking those and we started putting just Ivory yellow shirts in with like, you know, Converse shoes, Nike, like kind of really trendy hip stuff and just wouldn't tell any, didn't make a, you know, we didn't have a, a website or anything yet, just had the shirts and we were kind of like sublimity putting it in these, you know, tweets as just generic content people be like, what the fuck is this? What is this? At the same time, we built, um, a baby elephants, Twitter account, you know, to like three, I think at one point it was about, you know, 300, maybe 400,000 followers. And then immediately at launch, right. We switched the account to the iReal brand account. And then we immediately found all those old posts from, you know, two weeks, a month before and like commented, like, here's where you get the shirt. And people just went nuts
0: that's so dude i don't I don't know why but like that is the most interesting thing ever to just back into that like i don't know like i couldn't i don't know how do you like how did you know that would work like how do you develop the skill to know how to build an account like if you're starting from scratch how do you go about getting it anywhere like if i if i buy an account that already has something and you kind of build off of that like you're already starting at a certain level but if you're starting like are you ever starting from scratch and then how do you so go like about building it yeah
1: we- we'd start an idea from scratch. Right. But because we got investment money and we were able to buy the other ones, we could grow them super quick. So, you know, we uh, took so kind of using right? them
0: and, like with each other kind of.
1: Absolutely. Right. And you know, at first we didn't even trade with other people. We just snowballed it. We and using our own accounts. And then, you know, basically you get a good enough idea and it's, you'll you put up, you know, promotion over, you know, seven to 20 million followers a day. Um, you know, it builds super quick. So, um, and again, as we built more, you know, we now had another account that we could grow other stuff with. And so it just really snowballed super quick. And then, you know, um, my one partner, Ryan, who's probably the best at doing it, again, he probably had three, if not four times more than us. Um, you know, when we brought him in, well, now we just doubled our network, tripled our network size without even promoting stuff. And so we would come up with ideas, we'd run it through our network, his network. Uh, and again, you just kind of snowballed it super quick. So it was awesome. Again, it was a time where, You know, not many people were, not many people were using social media, but, you know, there wasn't all this influencer stuff, all these ads everywhere. So generic content, you know, went a really long way and we really didn't have to pay to market and get a brand out there because we owned it already. So um, it kept our costs super low to start. But I mean, like I said, when I say it, you know, it makes it seem like we were these marketing geniuses. Again, it was a lot of dumb luck. Um, And sometimes, again, it's a little harder now. Since you know, Facebook bought Instagram and Facebook's always been tough to grow because basically they don't let you make money unless they're making money. Right. Twitter was still kind of the Wild West, so they didn't have a tough, you know, they didn't really have a lot of controls on the platform, so you could still go viral. So we, we kind of had that luck, right? You know, we had the accounts to get out there, but then it did kind of go viral on its own. Again, we only plan to sell 500 shirts in a month, not 15 minutes. So we, in no way, you know, knew this was going to happen or thought it was going to happen. Um, you know, I tell everybody we we just got lucky, and then we made the most of the opportunity and didn't let it slip away. Where I, I do think you know nine out of ten people would have failed. So
0: so how was it difficult to try and because I mean me personally I know I would struggle with you know even if you have a following or a network of accounts with a large following the following is a demographic of. I would assume like younger girls, like, I don't know how to appeal to a younger girl, you know, I don't think that way. So how, how were you able, like, were you like doing research or dude? We,
1: I had my little sister writing stuff for us? <laughs> like, I mean, anybody under the sun. Yeah. Like, no, I wasn't, uh, I mean, I was basically asking anybody I could, you know, to do stuff every once in a while. Right. You come up with some gold yourself, you know, there was one, um Super Bowl, I think where you know Beyonce, right, like kind of stumbled and then everybody else did. And um, you know, I came up with the one, you know, uh, Beyonce or uh, Beyonce didn't fall, everybody else just did. <laughs> and like you come up you come up with stuff like that and it goes nuts. And you know, the funny thing is back in their day like every you just stole shit from other people who came up with it too, right? So like I'm people sure you remember that. you go- yeah. yeah I know but it was it, it was real bad at one point. Where you would literally go on Twitter and you'd see the same thing from twenty different accounts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's how we made most of our stuff, to be honest. We were, we got so big, and we realized, you know, we realized the market and opportunity, and we just gathered as much as we could. That honestly, when I, somebody had a good idea, we just copied it and we blew it up bigger. And so it kind of we became the original idea. Uh, you know, as that may sound a little fucked up, but it's exactly what we did. And people do
0: that. Everyone know, does I, that. Everyone yeah, I mean, and this
1: is definitely a doggy dog world in that sense.
0: Yeah, we and we treated
1: and, like a business.
0: And the way it works, whenever because accounts still do that, especially on Twitter, but it's always whatever the per, whoever the person sees first, you're automatically going to assume that that's the original. Then everything else you see after that, you assume is the copy. Like they don't, they have no idea who originated it. So whoever they see first, and it's probably <laughs> going to be from the bigger accounts. So you kind of have the advantage there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so you know, we always knew. You know, I mean, when you're making these parody accounts, you are technically violating the terms of service right off Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, like that. And so we kind of always knew, you know, listen, this may not be forever. Like we got to do whatever we can to get off the platform, you know, build something that can be sustainable, that can really be a company because this is nice. This is cool. You know, but you know, what if Twitter goes down, there's our whole company right there. So like our, our mindset was always get off the platform. So the second this happened, you know, again, um, you know, especially me, you know, my one partner, we dropped everything and we ran, you know, we moved to Connecticut. Um, you know, I was my last year of college, um, but he was still a junior. And so, you know, I, I emailed all my teachers and was like, Hey, here's what's going on. You know, really appreciate everything you've done, but just so you know, I'm not coming back to class. Um, honestly, it doesn't really matter to me, but you know, my mom would be devastated if I don't graduate. Right. And all three of my teachers gave me a C minus. It was so sick.
0: (laughs) <laughs> um, and so
1: I was able to graduate, right? But he wasn't. So like, we definitely gave up a lot. I mean, we were working, I mean, a weird amount. I mean, I was making the commute just back to Philly because I, I, I had a dog, girlfriend, right? Like a life in Philly. I just, So I was making the commute back to, you know, Philly, like four or five times a week. Like we were trying to trade off who was going to make it just to spend like 12 hours at home. It's like a four hour drive, you know, it's not like an easy commute by any sense. Um, but we were treating it like it was a, you know, 10 minute commute. And so, I mean, we were working a dumb amount and, you know, I, that's why I tell everybody again, most people, you know, we didn't, we weren't these marketing geniuses that made it happen. But when it did happen, you know, we seized every opportunity we could where I think most people would have either stumbled or given up.
0: Yeah. I, I think what the problem most people would run into is that I think people get too, and I've said this so many times to people, but they get so set on, they have to have a certain plan and they focus more on trying to execute a plan. Not to say that's a bad thing, but focus more on that as opposed to being able to adapt and being able to pivot and being able to adjust to things on the fly. Like, I almost feel like having the ability to make quick decisions, go, you know, like, you know, when things are going one way, you take it that way right away. Like, being able to adapt quick is almost more, you know, important, I would think, in growing a business because you might miss an opportunity, like you said.
1: Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, to even just go on to that a little further, you know, what I've definitely learned. And so again, not made, we, we were, I mean, we failed so many ways, right. You know, but I always think one of the reasons that, um, we, you know, hurt us a little bit is again, having five people, you know, run the business, um, being four the people we, uh, you know, we, sometimes we wouldn't make a decision because we were so indecisive. And a lot of times I've definitely learned this all the times, you know, it's worse to not make a decision than make a decision. Right. Um, because again, everywhere we got was because we just messed up. I mean, we messed up so many things we first started. It was was crazy. I mean, I go on for days, not weeks, about everything we just failed at and was a total disaster. Um a thing, but that's how we learned. Um and so that was super important. And something I've just learned in business in general is you know, make a decision. Um you could change, stick with it, but at least you learn something, whether it's successful or not successful. But not make a decision. Uh, You know, you don't learn anything. And so you'll never be able to grow. You'll never be able to adapt. Um, So sometimes I think people just get so caught up in the, you know, the idea of making a wrong decision that shit, if you make the wrong decision, just don't make it again. You know, Um, but at least, you know, never to make that decision. If you don't make anything, you're again not learning.
0: Yeah. What was the biggest screw up you had the whole time?
1: So I won't call it the biggest screw up, but it's, you know, I think it really just kind of isolates what we were doing. Um, so my brother, my brother's a year younger than me, but if you ever met him, you know, he's, he's got way more put together. He's, you'd think he's you know <laughs> 10 years older than me. Um, but he was a uh, accounting and finance major at South Carolina. And so all this is going on. And like, I mean, we are, we're just making so much money. We're spending so much money, right? My teacher being a high school, um, being a high school teacher, literally three o'clock would come and he'd basically come with a school bus with the students. And we would just work from like, you know, three to like three in the morning, basically. Um, so we were just, I mean, we were spending just cash left and right. And so, you know, we were getting, we had a five guys next to us. So we would get people lunch, dinner, whatever. So they didn't leave. They just help us fold shirts and chip them out. Um, you know, we had a Dunkin' Donuts next to us. And so, I mean, it got to the point where I was pro- I was probably drinking about 11 cups of, you know, cups of coffee with two turbo shots in each coffee a day, Need um, it. for probably for probably about a year. Right. So, um, I didn't know what to do again, not real, no real business, like experience, anything like that. So I'm just like taking receipts left and right, um, from my partners. We're all, like we're just shoving it in a box, like no idea what to do. Like, we'll we'll figure it out later. Cause again, we, we went on pre-order when we first started. So, um, you know, we didn't know where to get the shirts, what to do. So I think the worst we got was, you know, we were about 30,000 orders back, you know, back ordered, um, our first summer in our first six months, um, uh, you know, a thousand of those were over a hundred days old. Right. So we were, I mean, we always had something to do. And so I asked my brother, my like, hey, can you help me with finances? So he came up with like seven of his buddies for like two weeks. They just take this huge box of receipts they're going through. And one day he comes into like me, you know, my partner, Jacob, and another guy, Henry's working with this guy. He's like, guys, like can't do this. It's unsustainable. Like, what are you talking about? He goes, you spent $25,000 at five guys and $20,000 at Dunkin' Donuts last month. And we we're like, Oh dude, I don't know. Like what? And so, um, you know, I, t- that was like, that was the chaos that was going, right? Like the first five months I was sleeping in the warehouse. Cause you are working 20, you know, 22 hours a day, you are only getting two, three hours of sleep. Like I wasn't going to waste 30 minutes of it driving. So like, I just slept in the warehouse every night. Um, and like every five days, my partner, man, would be like, dude, John, what the fuck? Go shower, man. Like go to my house. Like you need to take like eight hours and get some sleep. Um, and so it was just, I mean, it was pure chaos. And so again, I, you know, what was the worst decision we made? I don't know because we were, we were going so fast that, I mean, we made 10 to deci- 10 wrong decisions an hour. Um, but we were just trying to do whatever we can. Um, you know, we being that many backward, I mean, every probably every five minutes you're getting like an email and it's just nonstop left and right. I mean, you reload, there'd be a hundred emails there somehow. And so we had, you know, process where, uh, because we're just printing all these shirts and as they're printed, they've already been sold months ago. Um, you got to print your shirt. If you mess up five shirts in an hour, then you got to move to customer service. You know, if you either piss off somebody or like you don't answer enough emails in an hour, then you move to fulfillment you know, fulfillment was, me and Henry called it the pass-back method. You, you folded a shirt, and you just turned and put it on the table behind you, and somebody was sitting there, they'd tie a bow around it, and they'd throw it in a package. And so it was just pure chaos for, you know, probably our first nine, if not, you know, 12 months.
0: So then how do you go about scaling it in that? So, you know, you kind of said in the beginning, you weren't expecting you only had however many hundred shirts. And you sold 600,000 worth over that first weekend or whatever it was. So obviously it was much bigger than you had anticipated. Um, so how do you keep up with that? How do you scale the business? How do you go about, cause you got to hire employees. How do you figure out who's going to do the job? Who knows what they're doing? you guys are already saying you don't know what you're doing. So, you know, how'd yeah, you go so, about I mean, that?
1: It's, it started off. the first thing we did was, you know, we all kind of had our media group. So my buddy, Jacob, um, Me and – again, he was my buddy in college. We really started. He had his um, really close friend, Henry, um, and Tanner moved down with us. And I had my two best friends, um, Julian Curran. say, like, guys, hey, listen, for the summer, like, can you please work for me? I literally have so much to do. You can work in your major. I can pay you – again, I mean, we would pay pay – I'll give you 20 bucks an hour, and you can work as much overtime as you possibly want. So, I mean, people were, were logging, you know. 60, 70 hours of overtime at time and a half. Like, and so, um, you know, we had a media group, people came and they again, Matt being a, John. So, you know, we <laughs> had one day where it was literally bring your family to Ivory L a day. And like, we would pay people literally like 20 bucks an hour cash. So we didn't have to worry about any of the taxes or details of it just to fold like 30,000 shirts and stuff like that. Um, and so we literally just like, kind of made it happen by just work. You know, my partner, Ryan, cause we had never met Ryan before he's from Wisconsin. And so we give him a call. I'm like going bug-eyed cause I haven't slept in the first two weeks. And I'm like, dude, you gotta get here and help us out. And you know, again, it's, it's a dumb and weird amount of money we made so quick. So like all of our parents, mine, Ryan, they're like they're thinking some scam, the money's not real. You know, PayPal locked our account. We started cause they thought it was fraud. Because <laughs> it was so much. So, like, we can't even access a lot of it. So, like, I'm asking my mom for like two grand every day, three grand a day. Like, paying her back is like, we slowly got payments released, like, through the bank. Like, and everybody's like, kind of like, what's going on? So, like, Ryan's dad's like, So, you're telling me you're moving from Wisconsin to go work with guys you've never met before on an elephant company that's making <laughs> money that won't even give you the money? He's like, All right, I'm coming with you. So, him and his dad get here. His dad you know, was an old roofer. So like probably the hardest worker I've ever met. You know, I tell everybody, I mean, I worked until I almost killed myself at L. but Steve was the only person who I've known who literally worked more than me. He's the guy who came in every morning at, you know, five, you know, 5.15 a.m., banged on the door to wake me up, handed me a coffee, and he went with me till three in the morning every single day. Guy was an ox. But he gets here, he sees it all. You know, we're thinking we're going to buy this $60,000 $60,000 like t-shirt printer. It's going to save us all. And so the printer gets here and, you know, the building we have wasn't even wired for electric you know, for the electricity of it. And Steve's like, Jesus. And so he still works for us now. He moved there with Ryan, basically. Um, and he never went back with us. He's probably been the best employee we've ever had. <laughs> well, you know, and so, uh, we literally just beat it with hard work. Um, you we'd know, have temp agencies, you know how to hire somebody in onboarding process. We didn't know any of that stuff. And so we started with just close family friends. Um, you know, after about probably four months in, I remember going out to dinner with Matt and his wife, and i was you know, Janelle, I'm like, listen, guys, Matt's gotta quit his job. Like, I understand he's been working well for a teacher, he's got a pension all this, but like we are making millions of dollars here. He is an adult, knows stuff like we don't know what we're doing basically until three o'clock when he gets there. Like, I need Matt. Their full time, or like this could be function yeah. From you know, um, a lady from his work who you know had HR experience. You know, she's now our head of HR. Um, and so uh, one day, actually, we were probably end uh, of August of our first year. I was trying to go to my ex-girlfriend's graduation party. It's about it was a five-hour drive. And you know, when you don't really sleep, like you truly don't sleep, when you hit like day three, day four, you're so tired and your body's running off adrenaline that it's actually kind of hard to sleep and you almost forget about it. And so I was on about two weeks of like no sleep. And that, you know, I, I get 15, 20 minutes here, wherever I could, right? But I tried to make this five and a half hour drive, like thought I was good um, you know, 15 minutes before I got to where I needed to be, I ended up falling asleep, you know, going about 80, um, and ran into the back of somebody's car, woke Sheesh. up to it, just literally spinning flames everywhere. Like no idea where I was. Um, oh, I was shit. totally fine. The other person was fine. Right. But both cars were totally totaled. Um, you know, it was an absolute miracle. And so, you know, I'm a mama's boy till I die. I think my mom is not only the hardest worker, but the smartest person I've ever met. And so, you know, she's like, all right, screw this. This is done. Like you're coming up. Like she, she came up for like two weeks, you know. Found me a place to live so I could move out of the warehouse. Like we set a set schedule, you know. So i really only be working like six. Had enough time for sleeping. She you had know, basic needs, stuff like that. Got me all set up. Then she put me in touch with one of her good, um, you know, friends growing up, who was a, a huge ops guy. You know, his whole life, all he had done is run warehouses. Um, incredibly successful. Um, and it just kind of retired. And so he's like, just talk to Lee for you know 20 minutes. And so I, you know, I talked to Lee and the call, you know, my first talk was in was like three and a half hours. Right. So I come in one day with this notebook of just like 30 pages of all these ideas. Like I heard 10 pages and see, we got to do this. Like we can't forget to pay sales tax. And they're like, Whoa, Johnny, like, what is that? I'm like, I talked to this guy and they're like, can he come down and help us? And so, you know, I called him and Lee's like, yeah, you know, like I could come for a week. And so he came for a week or like, man, like, this is pretty cool having a guy who knows what he's doing. Like, Holy shit. Lee, can you stay another week, can you stay another <laughs> week? And so he ended up really being our first, like true COO built our entire print and fulfillment operation. You know, work for us for a first year and a half. Um, and so we kind of learned, you know, after that moment on that car crash that listen, you, you can work as hard as you want, but you know, we got to start working smarter if we want this to last. And so we started working smarter. We brought in people like Lee, uh, another great mentor of mine. Um, bill was an, another great family friend um who was you know high up in the finances of comcast who just retired And so he came was our first cfo and so we really leaned on people um who had done it before uh and help us grow it and to kind of get it to where it was so
0: so that's, um, that's something i was going to ask about is like if you had any mentors or how important you know, how much uh, stock you put into having it. But it it sounds like it was pretty necessary because it seems like nobody knew what they were doing until, you you know, you got one of those people. Um, So, like, do you think that, like, is that just a natural progression of business? Like, you're going to start, you're not going to know what you're doing eventually, it's just going to reach a point where, you know, you got to bring in outside help. Like, do you think if you just did it on your own, you would have gotten to the same point?
1: No, if we try to do it on our own, we would be uh, pretty much screwed. And so I will say, right, it all comes with, I mean, Google's amazing, right? When we were doing all the Twitter stuff and like the Facebook, like I, you know, told myself to market on social media, it took me like 40 hours of just sitting in front of a computer screen and, you know, practicing online and watching YouTube videos, right? Like I tell anybody, if you want to learn to advertise on social media, whether it's Facebook, Google, whatever, like commit yourself to 40 hours of watching YouTube videos and 500 bucks and you're just as good as anybody else at Facebook advertising. Um, It's not this like creative art that some people make it seem out to be. It is a science and a formula and it's kind of just like doing math back at school. Like, you know, perfect practice makes perfect. So just keep doing it over. You're going to fail, but you know, it's not a, it's not some skill that some people possess and others don't. Right. It's something that's very teachable. And so a lot of, a lot of business I learned is like that. Um, again, we had the benefit of being so successful right away. And because everything, you know, we were on a four week pre order, right? So, like, we had all the money and we didn't even need to buy the shirts yet. So, I remember one time because, you know, of course, when all this is happening, we were using comfort colors um, and comfort colors just got bought out by Gildan. So, like, every Friday, you know, me, somebody else, you'd hop in a U Haul and somebody would go like north, another person would go west. And we were basically buying every comfort color shirt. On the east coast because um we're like listen we'll pay you cash ahead of time and we'll pay you more you don't have to give us a discount like don't sell it to anybody else you know and so um we would just code and pick up t-shirts every friday you know you get a 25-foot u-haul and we couldn't risk any people right because again didn't know about temp agencies or things like this so like sending two people was seen as like inefficient and a waste so you go by yourself and you would load just thousands of boxes and shirts into this U-Haul by yourself. Cause by the time you got to the warehouse, all these guys, you know, a company is brought back Dan, half the people thought they were getting fired. So they basically told you to fuck yourself and you just had to load it yourself. Um, and you're like, all right, like I, I barely know how to drive this U-Haul, let alone how to work a pallet jack. Um, and so we did pick up a lot on that. Um, man, hindsight's 2020 20, going back, you know, I would have brought Lee in day one. Right. But you know, not a lot of people have that immediate success. And so it's hard So you gotta find people that you can lean on. There's definitely a level that you can teach yourself if you just really put in the time and willingness to. So it was a combination of both. You know, I'm I'm hesitant. Lee and Bill especially were the only reason our business is still around. And so, you know, I, I do want that to be clear, but I am hesitant to say it because I realized how fortunate we were to have the financial success we did to be able to say, listen, Bill Lee, like we could pay for you to come down here, we pay for a hotel, all your meals, like. And then you know we can offer you a salary, things like that, like a real job. Not a lot of people, especially entrepreneurs, when they start up, have that. And so you got to find people that you can just talk to, and you got to be willing to kind of work it out and learn yourself.
0: Yeah, I also think a, a point you made earlier, just before, was, you know, like you, I think one of the most daunting things when you're talking about how like oh you can learn Facebook advertising, you can learn most things in business. I think the biggest obstacle most people face is just how daunting it seems to start you know because you're starting with a blank slate like you don't know shit like it could be anything like even just with this podcast stuff like it like to me like kind of exactly what you're saying like oh now I look at it oh this is easy anybody could learn that's why I tell people like people make it seem complicated it's not at all but in the beginning I was like oh shit like I don't know what I'm doing I never did audio this and that but now I'm like oh this is not hard at all so I feel like a lot of people it's just that initial like you know, I'm just going to go for it and just see what happens and accept the fact that you're going to, you know, be clueless to start.
1: Yeah. I think like, again, that's a lot of things in life, right? Like you can do it if you just kind of get over it and willing to do it right. Like working out, you know, it's not hard to work out, right? Like just sit down and do as many pushups. Now I'm not, I'm the least fit person, the laziest guy you'll ever meet. Right. (laughs) So this better me to say, you know, safety with dieting. I'm the worst at that too, but like, you want a good diet? Like, all right. Just like, you know, eat salad. Like it's, it, it's not rocket science to just get in shape by doing a bunch of push-ups and running a lot. Right. It's not rocket science to just like eat the right things. Like don't put a bunch of sugar and soda in your body to feel better, you know, and, and live a healthier lifestyle. You just kind of got to do it. Nobody wants to do it. You know, that's kind of how I vi- I visualize work. Um, I love what I do. I, you know, I'm very fortunate what I do, but, uh, I mean, work is hard. I mean, that's why it's called work. You know, there are days where, I feel like I have the best job in the world. There are days I feel like the worst job in the world. Um, but regardless, like you just got to do it. Um, and so that's how I feel about a lot of things in life.
0: Yeah. The, the most, one of the most important things, how much money did you, uh, has been raised for saved elephants? What other charities did you work with? Cause I know there were a few others. So like, let's highlight that, you know, like how the company was able to help all these organizations.
1: Yeah. So like I said, you know, I, I've, I'd like to be pretty transparent about it, right? We, we weren't these PETA people that were on a mission to save the elephants. I mean, I, I love elephants, right? I take a bullet from them now. They've absolutely changed my life, uh, other people's lives because of it. But um, we didn't start it for that. It was just a fortunate thing. Um, I thank uh, Rich every day, you know, um, for coming up, not even coming up with that, but just being smart enough to, to realize that that was the right thing to do. Um, but we've donated, you know, just about $2 million to save the elephants. Um, obviously, we've worked with a lot of other charities. You know, the biggest thing we did, and one of the coolest things, I think, you know, we did a breast cancer thing our, our second year, and we were able to raise, um, you know, $60,000 for breast cancer. And, you know, we've since then have raised, you know, over $200,000 for breast care. We've raised, you know, over $100,000 for the Boston Children's Hospital. And so I think, you know, just to highlight the philanthropy, I've never been, Again, I, I say, it, you know, I, I don't mean it in a, you know, the dickest way it comes off, right? But I've never been a person to like, I wasn't going to start a charity or nonprofit, I'll put it that way. Right. That wasn't my desire, whatever. But I don't, I don't mind giving back. You know, ever since then, giving back has been so important to me. You know, after our first year, we went to Africa, a lot of us, and we we're able to stay with Save the Elephants in Samburu, Kenya. Um, and to this day, it's, you know, by far the greatest day it's ever you know, been in my life is we went to this small school outside of the campus Save the Elephants. And the school had, you know, Save the Elephants had used $10,000 of our money to build this fence around this school. And so we, we pulled to the school and we didn't know we were going to this or that this had happened. And we get there and all these kids and parents of community are lining the street singing. And, you know, they're, they're telling us that they used our money to build this fence. And because of that, you know, girls could now go to school before, you know, there was the danger of being kidnapped and raped. Um, There was the wildlife danger. And so for the first time, you know, girls being able to go back to school and how big of a deal was again, these people, I mean, I was crying, but they were crying and I mean, they were worshiping us all for kind of $10,000. You know, we make that by 10 a.m. most days. And so it was the first time I was really able to see kind of the human impact of what we did and how important it became. Um, And so, you know, giving back is something that's, you know, super special and important to me. I do this charity bike race um, for a group called Young Survivor Coalition, which is you know women, you know younger women who get breast cancer. I'm very fortunate, and I I don't really know um, anybody in my life who's been impacted by breast cancer. But you know, after going to this event one time, you know, meeting some of the women, the inspiring stories they told me um, to myself, I'm kind of like, how can I not go every year? You know, it's it's incredible. Um, The group I'm with now, Alta Gracia. Um, I think their mission, what they're trying to do, is so important. And so, you know, when I started with them, I was really just kind of consulting, and it just turned into a full time thing because I think it's so important. You know, we give back, not give back, but, you know, we're the only certified living wage apparel company in the world. And basically, what that means is we pay all of our workers three and a half times minimum wage um, here in the U.S., down in the DR. And so, in a time, you know, with uh, sweatshops and all of this, you know, at, there was the whole thing with Nike, right, and Zion this year when his shoe ripped, right. And when you look down, you're like, man, like some of the working conditions we have, and so um, it's really impacted my life. Like I said, I never was a giving back guy, um, but I've seen the impact even a few bucks has made and can make to other people, and so uh, giving back is something uh, you know I will always do for the rest of life, and at least for business, it's something I you know feel pretty uh, kind of proud about, and you know we'll continue to do.
0: So, so Alta Gracia is kind of in the same vein then. So it, what kind of, like, what is a company selling? It's another, uh, fashion brand, like fast fashion. So it's thing? not a
1: brand. It's the other side of the business, right? It's a, it's a manufacturer. So we okay. actually, we make, you know, shirts. We're at over 600 colleges. Um, so it's, uh, you know, some fanatics has a piece of the company as well. So, you know, we sell on their site, um, things like that, but we actually, you know, make the t-shirts. And so for me, you know, I've always just bought the T-shirts, but now I'm making them to sell to people like me, um, sell to colleges like that I'm on the manufacturing side of it. And so, uh, again, our big thing is how we treat our employees. Um, and it, it's just a way of doing business that I didn't know about and I've learned more about. And uh, it's I don't know whether it's a, it's cool or appalling just to see and get into the numbers right of how little labor really has on the cost of stuff. Yet, for some reason, you still got these sweatshops in China, Bangladesh, Peru, everywhere that, you know, are, they're like paying people 10 cents. And you're like, man, that person's only like six cents, you know, 6% of the whole cost. Like, what the hell? You know, we pay our people like unbelievable. And you go to our factory and like everybody in sort our factories in the Dominican Republic. Um, we've got about 70 employees there. And the, it's the Villa of Alta Gracia, which is how we came up with the company name. Um, and so you go to the village and it's you know, everybody knows who works at Alta Gracia because of how much more money they have and the lifestyle they live, um, because of the benefits and things we give. And so, uh, it's been so cool for me, uh, cause again, I love elephants, big animal guy, um, <laughs> you know, but it's been awesome to see the human impact, um, and actually have, you know, a bigger impact than again, more than just animals. Not that I don't love animals, but I do think, um, you know, the human impact is for at least me, very important and
0: special. Yeah. I, I think like what you were saying with Nike and all the sweatshops, thing, is the problem is if, if someone's willing to take that wage, a company's going to do it. Cause they're all about, you know, cutting costs to as low as possible. It's this, the morality, you know, is, isn't there. That's not what they're trying to yeah, do. Yeah, Exactly. So. Right.
1: And I'm a capitalist, right. So I, I believe in that, but at some point there, right, there's gotta be some moral boundary or else people just get taken advantage of. Um, and so that's uh, that's been uh, pretty eye opening for me because, like I said, I, you know, ten years ago, I wouldn't have said any of this. I'd be like, "Well, you guys make as much money. Like, of course, you pay people less. Like, they're willing to take less." But now it's like, man, like, yeah, they will. But just because they will, does that mean you should? Like, at some point, like, where do you draw the line just to be a decent human being? Um, and so it's uh, it's been. You know, I, have definitely changed a lot from it, but I mean, it's been, it's been cool as hell, man. I've been very fortunate. Like I said, we've donated over $2 million, you know, Altagrassi itself has been around for a while. It's been able to write over $6 million in checks to employees. So like, it's been, I've been very fortunate to be able to be a part of, um, and personally give back a lot. And it's something I'll do till the day I die.
0: I mean, you, you got the best combo. You're making a lot of money and you're helping a lot of people and animals out. I mean, what's better than that? That's, nah, best I, both I, of love, us. I love, I love, man. So what would you say, so everything at Ivriella sounds pretty chaotic, but it sounds like since when you don't know what you're doing, that means there was a lot to learn. What do you think of all this experience do you think is your biggest takeaway? Like what's the most important lesson you've learned or what's the most important thing in business do you think to at least a success?
1: So, you know, we talked about earlier the decision making. That's definitely, you know, a big thing. I think, you know, kind of more of a, a life and business thing is I've learned is just that you can really say anything to anyone if you say it the right way. Um, a lot of times, you know, we try to just, you know, it's crazy. I mean, every person, and I'm, I'm, I'm still very young. So, uh, I, am still learning a lot. I'm, you know, if I have to let somebody go, I am, you know, shaking at the boots. Right. But I mean, I've let a lot of people go, fortunately, unfortunately. Um, and every time, you know, I, I find that, that person's like, man, yeah, you should have probably done this like weeks ago. Um, but we just were afraid to have the, you know, harsh conversation. And so, you know, I've really tried to take that to Altagrassi when I go there and just be like, listen guys, full transparency, you know, I'm going to tell you if you screw up, I expect you to tell me if I screw up and like, we're going to resolve it. And if we can't resolve it, like you should feel like, you know why. And so transparency has been super important to me. Um, I believe it's, you know, companies made out of its employees and it's important. Um, that employees know that. So for us, you know, at AltaCross, we we like to make sure that people know their path. Hey, listen, you know, here's where you're at. Here's where it could look like in five years. Does that match your path? If not, like, is there something else you want to do? You know, if so, can we help you get there? Can you do it for us? If so, what do you need? You know, Oh, you're an accounting person. You want to grow, you know, more. All right, well, you're going to need this degree, this degree legally. So you got to have that by this time and then we won't need an accountant until we reach this revenue. And so transparency has been a huge thing for me just as a business owner. I've had much more success. I've seen the results when, again, you're just open and honest with people. uh, They're kind of back to you. So that's definitely a big one. I, I think another is just organization, man. I mean, I do a lot of consulting as well. And the biggest thing I find is, I mean, people are like, "Well, wow, our communication stinks like this. And I'm just like, well, you know, your organization's just structures broken. Like how you, how you organize your life routine is so important. You know, um, well, we do it all to cross, you know, we touch base every morning at 9 AM because a lot of our work is remote. And so it's just a standard thing every day. And so if you can organize your life, organize your thoughts, your processes, you'll find that the communication, um, the other parts of the business really fall in line. So organizations become a a huge thing for me now. You know anybody that I know that's listening to this is going to be like, dude, John, what? Like, I've seen your bedroom. You're not organized at all. And so I always say disclosure, like my personal life and work life, like completely separate. You can ask my girlfriend. Like, I think I'm very put together. You know, work is my everything, but my personal life is a mess. You know, for two (laughs) years, I just, I basically was in IRL and I just grabbed a new shirt every day, right? So I've got. I mean, I've got more clothes than anybody you'll meet, um, and it's a a curse, and uh, it's just a curse actually, to be honest. It, it's,
0: it's a nightmare. <laughs> no, no other way. <laughs> so, like,
1: you know, so my personal life is not disorganized, but at least for business, um, very routine, very organized. It's something you know, I try and practice what I preach, and I definitely preach it a whole lot, um, because it's just how I've seen myself get better, and companies I work with get better.
0: Yeah, yeah I, I like I like the transparency point because I feel like that's important because I feel like people appreciate people appreciate the honesty as long as you're transparent the second someone thinks you're hiding something or you got some other kind of motive they don't know what's going on like but if you're pretty open and honest and you're also receptive to getting that kind of back I feel like whether it's a good conversation or a not so pleasant conversation people are always going to have respect for you at the end of the day and I think that's how you you know make any kind of progress and run a business is probably the best way to go about it
1: Yeah, and I'm like a big sports guy, right? So, like, the two, and it's, oh, man. So, a big sports guy, huge Philly guy. Um, While the birds are really making me pull up my hair, um, (laughs) the Sixers are going to win it all this year. So, sports are, I'm a big sports guy. Um, But the two people, while I hate them the most, I respect them most, Bill Belichick and LeBron James, right? Bill Belichick has built the perfect, well-oiled machine. I mean, the NFL is designed and made for parity, and yet somehow the Patriots... They do cheat, but somehow (laughs) they figured out how to break the parity by just having, you know, when one wheel is broken, like another one's put in, like it's the perfect machine. It's unbelievable. And LeBron James, you know, anytime he goes to a new team, new season, first thing he does is, you know, players only meeting. He sits everybody down and he says, here's your role in, you know, our team. And so, um, again, while I hate him because he's not on the Sixers, like that transparency, like people know immediately, hey. Here's the star player. Here's the shooting the threes here at hey, you. Your job is to play seven minutes a game. Give me rest, you know, and rebound X, Y, Z. And because everybody knows their roles, it's super successful. Um, I'm a true believer business should be like that, right? Like I don't want to bullshit anybody. Hey, you're not going to be our CFO. You know, here's X, Y, Z. You don't have this degree. You don't, you need this much experience. And so um, I found when you, you have that transparency, uh, it just, it's going to be so much more successful you're going to find the right people for the right job which is what you want you don't want somebody to be in a place who thinks that they're going to grow here for 10 years and then you know three years down the line nothing's happened and you kind of have known that or whatever um and so you know we definitely made a lot of those mistakes at Ivriella um because we had so much to do right i would just be like um you know my my friends you know my one buddy Kerr, and you know he would he was basically like my right hand. Right. So like I haven't do anything X, Y, Z, like just because I knew he'd get it done. Right. But that wasn't necessarily his yes. So I didn't put him in a position to succeed. Um, you know, my other buddy, Julian, who was up there with us, you know, did our finances for two, two and a half years and, you know, wanted to be a CFO, um, and all this, but realistically, like you can't be a CFO of a, you know, publicly traded company without a CPA, let alone next number of experiences. So, you know, he's moved on to, to get better things and, you know, that's what I've just learned over the years. Again, that transparency. If your path matches other people's path, um, again, even if it goes awry for you, it will go awry for them, because they, you guys are all walking in the same direction.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, I think that's a pretty good point to end on. But I have three rapid-fire questions. Are you ready? We'll end it on this. So, yeah, man. So I found out from I found out from a mutual friend, Andy. And you kind of referenced it a little earlier because you were talking about your diet. Heard you're a big junk food guy. What's your what's your top three favorite junk foods to snack on? If if your if your diet's out the window.
1: Man, all right. So I get I get a bad rep for this, Don. All right. I'm not necessarily <laughs> a junk food guy, but I just love food. And it just happens that the best food is considered junk food. Yeah. All right. So that is my that is my disclosure, you know. Um, I'll say that going in, but without a doubt, I mean, chocolate ice cream is the greatest thing on earth in my opinion. Um, I, I, I mean, I eat chocolate ice cream just about every single day I have (laughs) since I was like four years old. Um, so that's number one, like far and away from me. And I don't do chocolate chip, chocolate chunk, just chocolate ice cream. Um, I love it. So that's definitely number one. Um, fuck, it's supposed to be rapid fire. So I'll probably just be easy here and go like a cheeseburger and like, Steak, which again, not necessarily junk food, but just like the three best things that I love to eat.
0: I, I, I'm I'm with you on two of the three. I'm more of a vanilla ice cream guy, but the last two, uh, I'm on board. Listen, um, I'm
1: all right. That just means more for me. <laughs> all
0: right, number two. So I've seen I've seen on Instagram. You put up your John's Blazing Five picks. You're talking about you're a big sports guy, so I take it that means uh, you're a little bit of a gambler as well. What's your record Mm -hmm. on John's Blazing Five? And give me a pitch uh, of why I should be uh, following your picks.
1: So I will tell you, I am not a little gambler. I am a gambling degenerate, (laughs) Um, and so I love. I said I love sport. I love competition, right? So that's what I like about gambling. Is there's there's a side? There's winner loser, um, you know. And so I've always I I love it. I bet on anything under the sun. So, yeah, John's Blazing Five. We're just under 60% this year. The first time I'm in the Super Contest. Um, I had a rough last week or else I was actually pretty – I mean I was only five games away from being in first. So we're having a great year at 60%. Um, You know, I just – I do it every year. I love it. Like I said, it's kind of as a joke at this point. I do it now. It's probably like the fourth or fifth year I've been doing it. Um, But, I mean, I'm consistently at, you know, about – Fifty-five to sixty percent. Um, if you know anybody that gambles, like that's pretty much the best you're going to do. Yeah, I was going to say sixty
0: percent uh, is really good. Yeah, that's very, very. Yeah,
1: good. I mean, you, yeah, I tell people you find the best gamblers in the world right are right about you know fifty-five to like sixty percent. You know, you see these bullshitters on like Twitter and stuff like seventy percent, whatever. Well, if you're betting seventy percent, then you should be betting more games because there's more money to win out there, right? Um, so I like to think that you know while I'm not. The world's greatest gambler I'm definitely not the world's worst and so I let my numbers speak for themselves and it'll just be another year again at me at 60% percent um, making a bunch of money for my bookmaker
0: <laughs> another thing actually just because I know because you put the the your picks the john's blazing john's blazing five that's what it's called right yes sir yeah. so I, I also remember I don't think you've done it recently but on Instagram you were doing like a cold brew Thursday or some kind of thing weren't you doing that yeah
1: <laughs> yeah so that was that was my one buddy um down here. You know, I've two good buddies in Atlanta. Well one's basically my business partner. We do everything together. Um the other's just kind of a mutual friend who just moved down to Atlanta. Um, and they kind of you know started it and I just went along with it and you know they I mean they there was one point they had like each of them like 70 people posted a day. So I'm <laughs> like, all right, whatever, I'll just repost it, like got that so um I'd love to say it was my thing. Um you know, even to him, because he probably won't to this. I'll tell him it was still my thing just to piss him off. But no, it was a thing a buddy did, and I was just supporting him. Um, So, you know, I like doing, I love to troll people (laughs) on uh, just social media. You know, one of the, we first started Ivory holiday, we were in Boston one weekend, and there was like this, I mean, it must have been a $60 million yacht. This thing was like, I mean, it was 400 feet long, two helicopter decks, right? I'm taking a Snapchat like, so blessed like thankful for this purchase right i'm <laughs> i'm getting like people i'm getting like 30 40 people message me like dude boy, and i'm like guys are you crazy like if i was making this much money like
0: dude. you wouldn't
1: be talking to me you know what i'm saying like this is <laughs> there's like seven the <laughs> people in the world that make this kind of money like shut up like are you kidding me so like, i love to troll people do dumb shit like down on social media obviously you know andy so i don't go to like his extreme i make it so like it's a little bit funny and i try not to overkill it unlike him yeah, um, he <laughs> do, Dude, I, 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 I had to remove them off Instagram. It was ridiculous. Yeah. I can't be having these twenty-minute stories with full paragraphs in each one of them. So. Can't do it. So,
0: <laughs> all right, and then last one. Uh, music. I usually ask people music recommendations. So if you're going if you're gonna bang some tunes, what are you gonna play? Could be current, old music. Could be someone popular, someone people haven't heard of, any genre.
1: So I'm gonna be honest, man. I'm a, kind of a weird. I'm a, I'm a podcast guy. So like I I crush podcasts. I mean I obviously drive a lot, um, and so I I crush podcasts. Every once in a while, you get a mood where you know I'm not afraid to you know bust open some good tunes. Uh, my girlfriend's really into like house music and DJs and stuff like that. So I'll you know blast some of that or just some oldies. But I'm not a huge music guy to be honest. It's not that I don't listen to it. I like I feel like I like all music, but. Um, I'm not the type of person that can kind of just sit there and listen to music per se. So like, I'm I'm a podcast junkie. So um, I really don't even have like music recommendations, which is probably shitty. But
0: it's it's all right. I, I would I would then say, well, what are your podcast recommendations? But I don't want you to give it because I only want people to listen to this one. So don't give me your podcast recommendations. No, no just one needs them. Say this one. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no one needs them. Um, All right, I think we're good. So how how, how much longer you got in your drive?
1: I mean, I still probably got another hour, man. So, <laughs> um, I mean, if you still got anybody listening to this long, you know, uh, I, I, like I said, I'd go on for days, if not weeks. Um, but I definitely really appreciate it. Uh, it's been cool as hell. I love what you're doing. You know, wish you nothing but luck and success. Hopefully, you know, people get something out of this. Um, you know, if not, you know, it is what it is. Like I say I always hope just one person, if, if nothing else it's one person to work a little harder that it's been pretty cool for me. So
0: that's true. All right. And then I'll, is there anything you want to like plug to end or, you know, I'll, I'll put things in the description of the show, but is there anything that people no, are looking out mean, for and just no, like you plug don't. your Instagram or something? Do you, have, do you have another lady boners account on Twitter that you're using that you want to plug?
1: <laughs> no, not really, man. Like so, the second Iriella happened, like I said, I gave up everything, you know? So like, you know, we still have the Twitter accounts. There's actually this, Oh man, dude, you're going to get me going for days. Um, there was this thing called like the purge, right. Where Twitter's banned all the accounts for, cause again, it violates terms of service. So I, like, we lost a lot of them, but again, the second Avriela started, I dumped them all. So no, I mean, I've just got my basic social media. I tell everybody, you know, my email is johnjohn J-O-H-N, at Ivriella.com. Um, doesn't really matter who you are. You know, you can put my phone number in the description, you know, if people want to talk, share experiences, just ask questions. Um, you know, I love it. I'm, I'm up 24 seven. I'm usually on my phone 24 seven. So text me, email me. Uh, but no, no real plugs. I got my dig into Andy. So that was really the only <laughs> thing I, you know, I needed to accomplish.
0: <laughs> All right. Word. All right. John, thanks for doing this. Enjoy the rest of your drive. And, uh, I think this went really well. I'm really happy with it. So,
1: uh, thanks, man. It's awesome. A uh, pleasure. And, uh, again, excited to hear more. Thanks, man. All right. take boss.